Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! We're back with another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And a few royal reminders as always. You can send us an email at info at gallerypodcasts.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss those Thursday episodes. And leave us a royal review it would make our day pretty please always makes our day we love getting love notes from you all (laughs) rachel what are we talking about i feel like there's so much to catch up on always as always but like this this week it feels definitely feels heavier right yeah for sure because we're gonna talk about the queen's hospital stay which was kind of a dark cloud over last week i don't know if you felt the same way yes we're also going to dig into the buzzfeed news report and the bot sentinel research about the targeted hate campaign against Megan and the Sussexes. We've got an interview with Christopher Ashley, the director of Diana the Musical, and so, 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 so much more. But Roberta, how was your, how's your week been? Are you looking forward to Halloween? What's going on in your world? Yeah. So I was actually in Florida visiting my parents over the weekend and it was really lovely. I really disconnected and you know, was able to log off for a little bit and celebrate their birthdays. October is such a big birthday month for me. I think I've told you this. There's so many people that I love's birthdays in October. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to Halloween. Do you have a costume picked out? I do. Well, yeah. So it's kind of, (laughs) so he made, my son made this demand that we go as sharks, but he's very specific. So he's a great white shark. Uh, My husband is going to be a hammerhead shark and I'm a whale shark. (laughs) Like, which is just such a, like, specific costume. So I'm trying to figure out how to, like, DIY basically a baby shark costume that's an adult version and there are no, like... Whoa, you're DIY. No, it's it's, it's not going to work out, but I'm going to do my best. Because I put it on, I was like, I think it works. And he was like, no, it's not a whale shark. I was like, oh my gosh, what are you going he's as? He's at that age where he's like, I need to be this type of dinosaur and nothing else. Yeah. Um. So Dave and I are going as Ted Lasso you characters. Oh, and Roberta. I won't say anything else, but it was just Wait, Ted Lasso and who? Here. Who are you going to be? I, I can't Oh, you can't you. say. I, can't you. I actually just really don't know. That's why I'm not telling you. <laughs> Oh my god. I have a gosh. few ideas. I'll, I'll just tell you. So I'm between, I was originally going to be Coach Beard, but on Amazon, blue tracksuits are sold out. Like it is impossible it's to get. And I really. The costume of the year. Yeah, I just don't want it. I, I don't have, I didn't want to shop on Amazon really, but I don't have time to go anywhere else really. So then I was thinking I'd be Keely. So that's oh, yeah. probably what's going to happen. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I'm so excited. I just want to we'll say see. that Roberta has nailed Halloween every year that I've worked with her. Like, I'll never forget when you were 11 from Stranger Things and it was just like a spitting image. So I cannot wait to see the pictures. With the Eggo waffles. Very excited. I I really actually wanted to be something royally related this year, but Ted Lasso just... 
took the cake for me. I mean, season, how can you season not? two was just so good. So, all right, we need to move on. Royal refreshment time. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Yeah, so I, I have honestly a just don't have anything fun. We should probably just skip it this time. No, I, I have, have a cocktail. Oh, you have something. I have ice, yeah. iced coffee. What do you have? I got on this. Someone sent me, like, not related to the podcast, from Cocktail Courier. It's like a magic oh, hour. Here's yeah. the recipe. But it was, yeah. I mixed like lemon juice and vodka and ginger beer. And I made some sort of like warm, lovely oh. drink. And it's early. So it's a little weird, but it didn't, I think a cocktail in the morning doesn't feel as bad as like wine in the morning. Wine will just make me sleepy. So I'm yes, into it. Totally. Thank Wait, you, Cocktail so Courier. Cocktail Courier is those people that make the um, like in flight like mixes, mm. right? I think That's what was so great those. about it was it was just yeah. like little portioned amounts. So I could just, quickly DIY it but truly not an ad like I just got it as like it was in a tote bag (laughs) with something that was sent so anyways cool not spawn con all right well while you're sipping that I'm gonna read a lovely listener email from Shannon which we shortened a little bit here for time's sake but she writes hi ladies I'm an Australian Roro who usually enjoys your podcast while I'm cleaning my flat on Sundays however when my city got locked down a couple months ago I found myself in a 500 meter COVID testing queue I turned to royally obsessed reruns tales of royal triumphs and misdemeanors was exactly the escapism I needed for what became an eight hour wait in sub-zero temperatures wow Shannon that is oh not my type of Sunday. There was something very romantic she says about reliving Lady Di and Charlie's wedding. Charlie. I want to call Charlie's wedding. That's nice. <laughs> As the sun set over the long swab line, I was so enraptured that time knew no bounds and am pleased to report that the test result was negative. She says, I remember returning to school the day after Diana died and the tears all the girls had for the poor boys, our own age, who lost their mother. My mother and I stayed at the Hotel Windsor the weekend Wills married Kate and the atmosphere was electric albeit a bit cheeky, with guests posing with the life-size cardboard cutout of the royal couple in the foyer. She says, keep up the great work with the podcast. I'm looking forward to reading your book. Thanks, Shannon. I know. Thank you so much. Also, we've gotten so many lovely responses to the book news, and it's we have to announce there's a new release date, December 21st, so just in time for holiday gifts and stocking stuffers. And... We're so excited. We're so excited. It's like not real that it's happening. (laughs) I know. Honestly, Rachel and I have not really wrapped our minds around it yet. I feel like (laughs) since we sent it in, we've just been like, okay. And we just have not stopped moving. It's been so busy. So anyways, This Week in Royal History. This Week in Royal History. A fun one to throw back to. Prince George's christening on October 23rd, 2013. Roberta, George is eight. I just wanted to let that like sit there for a minute. I know we have this in our rundown later in the episode, but he is so tall. Those pictures of him yes. in front of the Heathrow Airport, so How tall. How tall is William? Like, Do we know? I'm going to guess 6'2". And obviously this is like Google. 6'3 is what it's being reported as. So Wow. Tall guy. So George has that, those genetics. tall. Yeah. But I just, you know, some memorable moments from the christening which honestly feels like a lifetime ago. Kate's cream Alexander McQueen dress, George's handmade replica of the royal christening robe from 1841 because it had been through, I want to say, 62 babies. It was Queen Victoria's (sighs) eldest daughter that wore it the first time in 1841. And they finally were like, you know what? We need to call on Angela Kelly, remake this because it's going to disintegrate. And they preserved. Honiton? Honiton, Honiton, yeah, Yeah. I think you're right. 
Uh, the whole family was there. Prince Harry and Pippa did readings. It was held at the Chapel Royal at St. James Palace, which is the same place that Diana rested for five days before her funeral. So there was that nod to Diana a little bit. Please, Roberta, do me the honor of clicking those three links. I, I put okay. them in the perfect order for you. And the, it's they were babies because the first one <gasps> is William and Kate. And you say like we talk all the time about how they don't age, right? Like we're like, oh, they're ageless. But they look young there. <laughs> Wait, the biggest difference is William's hair. I know. Oh, it's even like a shade wow. darker. It's like not as, I don't know. It just looks different. And Kate. It's definitely gotten lighter. Yeah. They just look younger. <laughs> and even the second one, we've got, you know. Let me see. So Harry is is so, so, so young. Has like the baby face still. And then the final one, your main so man. So much hair on Harry too. I'm not The final picture, the, James. The hair loss here. Your oh, main man. Oh my gosh. Woo. Is yeah. it getting hot in here or what? James looks great. <laughs> like the order. But yeah, they but were so, so Pippa young. looks so young too. She, her face is so full. She yeah. looks, wow, eight years ago. I think kids change Time everything flies. too. Like just, they age you. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But it's it's cool to think, you know, it's only, it's eight years ago. But what a what a happy occasion and all of that. I was, it did make me kind of think like, what do we know? I feel like there's been some rumblings about Lilibet's christening and how there's kind of, back and forth. The Daily Beast I love calls it between California and London. Like instead of saying the Windsor, you know, the Cambridges and the Sussexes, the Windsors, the Sussexes, it's, but it's still very much very complicated what's going on because there was a piece in the Telegraph. Right. I was going to say Camilla's, Camilla Tomini's piece that said that a, a source very, you know, within palace walls, a reputable source, I guess, told her that it was not going to happen in the UK UK for Lilibet. But then Team Sussex kind of clapped back, right? And they yeah, said they had a statement. No, yeah, they had, had no um, – they've not been finalized. That's yep. right. Plans for the baby's christening were not finalized. So who knows? I feel like they're getting pretty far out now, though. Yeah, it is. And that's the issue, too, because we haven't – we also haven't had a christening for August yet. Sienna's still so young. I think they have time. But, like, I feel like mm-hmm. with August, you know, I believe there was a joke made by Fergie, right, that he would even fit. So <laughs> – we have a lot of christenings in the queue. So I'm optimistic that we'll get some of that on the calendar. The Royal Diary soon. I hope so. But speaking of George, we had an appearance, a like uh, sort of un, what do you call it? Un- sanctioned appearance. I was like, what's the word? Uh, Where there was a sighting of the whole Cambridge clan at Heathrow Airport this weekend. Roberta, did you see those photos? Yeah, going for a vacation, it seems like, on half-term break. I have to say I'm not fully over how chic Kate looks while going preparing to get on a plane she has like a blue midi dress on a straw giant tote bag and then some fresh white like brand new out of the box sneakers yeah she looked amazing I'm gonna I'm gonna up my my travel style game because all I wear is leggings so well but I saw conflicting reports that they were either coming or going because it was also just I think the timing, it was Thursday, and we had just mm. gotten the news about the Queen's hospital stay, which we're going to get into. So, uh, But I think they said they debunked that. Oh, they did? Okay. They, yeah, because they would have only begun a day because William's appearance was on Tuesday. 
Ah. his last appearance they couldn't have just gone for Wednesday yeah that makes know? sense so um it's like it looks like they're unloading the right? car yeah yeah so but, I mean it'd be I mean they could have gone for one day but it feels like that was a lot of it yeah the one, wasn't that many bags though so. no I will say I had no idea about the Windsor suite at Heathrow airport did you read about this I I don't understand who would pay four grand for an hour or two yeah. Like that is the Sky Lounge times a thousand. Times a have thousand. Have you ever done the Delta Sky Lounge? I don't know if I have. Have you? It's like 30 bucks if you're not oh, a maybe I have. platinum cult card member, whatever. I think that's it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's cool, but like this is way cooler. Yeah, there's but like eight still, private like, lounges, so apparently 96 staffers. I love that there's a massive portrait of Her Majesty, and then you get taken straight to your plane by a private car. So, do you think the Cambridges walk in and they're like, there's like, there's Gran, like, there's Granny. The <laughs> I hope so. I also, I just want to call one more thing about this photo, which is paparazzi photo, obviously, but the fact that we got a sneak peek at Louis's backpack and oh it has spaceships on it. And William was just saying that, you know, criticizing the billionaire space race, saying we should concentrate on climate change here on Earth. But I thought that was really funny. I was like, oh, oh that's so funny. I'm so into the kids' backpacks. Like, I still lose sleep, which is, I think, a sign you should buy something if you're still thinking about it. And that's what I'm telling <laughs> myself over, I know it was a paparazzi pick, but the Archie's backpack, it is so cute. It's just the problem so for me. Cute is the shipping cost to the US. So And Charlotte's. We had to Charlotte had a sparkly sequin backpack. Oh, so I'm just Charlotte. I can't wait for more Charlotte fashion yes. advice. All right. Moving on. So first up, we have the Queen staying in the hospital for one night and a little bit of Prince Charles news. So first up, the Queen's health. So the timeline of this, flashback to last week, the day we recorded, she had a Sorry, Tuesday. She had a reception with business leaders. October 17th, the next day, the day we recorded, there was a reluctant last-minute cancellation of the trip to Northern Ireland, which we mentioned. Sources said she was in good spirits and resting at Windsor. October 18th, the sun blows the lid off the story and reports that she spent Wednesday night in hospital. The palace was forced to then confirm that was true, but that she was back at her desk by that afternoon, so just one night. Now, flash forward to October 26th. Last night, the Queen regretfully backs out of the climate change conference in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, to be fair, that's an 800-mile round trip. So, I mean, that and is she's a gonna lot. she's going to appear via video. Is that right? She's going to have, yep, yeah, one uh, video speech, I guess. She was supposed to attend an evening reception outside. I loved your timeline. Thank you for that, Roberta. That was yeah, so Yeah, so I clear. just – I mean, we just need to talk about our worries and fears, yeah. I think, because – on the one hand, I think this is this all feels super normal for a 95-year-old in a sense yeah. because, you know, we know she's been super busy since returning from Balmoral uh, after her summer holidays. So CNN has a conservative estimate saying that the queen clocked well over 620 miles from October 1st to October 19th and 15 engagements. That's a lot for anyone. I, yeah. I couldn't do that. You know, so at 95, at 95, of course she needs some rest. I don't know. What are your, I, I know we've had just kind of this sadness hanging over us. Yeah. Like I think it was like all last week I had this like nagging, like what's bothering me? Like, why am I feeling mm-hmm. like out of sorts? And I think it was just the news that she was in the hospital that really, it's she's such an anchor that it's hard to imagine the monarchy without her, even though I know obviously we're not immortal, like this is going to happen at some point, but it really gutted me. And, you know, it got me kind of going down the rabbit hole more in detail about like Charles's plans for the future and mm-hmm. Googling like 
is there a chance he would abdicate? Like, I just think I have so many questions about all of that. And then, you know, I've been reading about the queen with, you know, since Prince Philip passed away, just she's really kind of had maybe, you know, true or not always with royal sources, but like, you know, just made sure she has a lot of company for meals and things like that. She's definitely Mm -hmm. been on the go in more ways than one. So that's hard to keep up, as you said, at 95. But what do you, how do you feel? My problem with this whole thing is like not being super forthcoming with the truth about this. And I know that there was no, there was no real lie told. So there, you know, palace stores didn't say, no, she didn't spend a night in the hospital when they were first asked. But I do think, it's like, what else are we not being told? I know. Because then I think I question everything. And I think, you know, oh, gosh, is she back in the hospital now if she's canceling? I think what really also has me worried besides, you know, we don't know what to believe from the palace or what they will tell us and confirm, but also that every report coming out from the UK media said that all of this cancellation, you know, she never takes sick days. She's so dutiful. She's a steadfast presence. And so I think... All of this uh, chatter was about she needs to rest for this climate conference. And when the news broke last night, I think that was like gut-wrenching. I think that was when it really opened my eyes to, okay, this is probably more severe than we're being told. And we need to kind of, I don't know, mentally prepare. I don't want, I don't even want to think about that. I know. know, Of course, it's just. I totally agree. And then it's it's like you read both sides of the argument, right? Where it's like sometimes they keep the health details more private because they don't want to stir panic. But it's like, I don't know what's right. Because that takes us back to when Prince William had COVID. Like, and Charles had COVID at the same time. So if we had known simultaneously, what would our, would we, would our hearts have been in our throat? Probably. But do we deserve to know that? info yeah and this might just be an instance where it's like she was going hard into fall and just fresh from break she took on so much and they really need to be conscious as a 95 year old that she shouldn't be doing 15 engagements in 19 days you know that that and during a pandemic right. too there's a yeah, lot of risk and alone too i think they said that now going forward she'll have at least one family family member there with um most engagements and events yeah it's a video and that way so no but, one's disappointed yeah put a pin in it for now but it's like a little right it's just like a nagging thing in your brain well then prince charles kind of made this joke at his own extent at the princess trust awards trophy ceremony it was at saint james's palace last thursday he quipped about being heir but it felt a little weird because this is the day they revealed that his mom the queen had stayed in the hospital one night so he said charles's quote he goes, at a TK Maxx store, which I guess is TJ Maxx. You know, that makes me laugh every time. <laughs> yeah. A few years back, he said, I remember there was an enormous number of people who were trying to get in as they were waiting for me to get out. I guess there was an engagement at the store. He added, story of my life, like waiting for me to get out of the way so that they could get in. And it's like, wait, so is he referencing this poll that came out about how UK – taxpayers want William as king over Prince Charles. I don't know. It's just, it's like a As a sense of humor joke. we're seeing. I yeah. don't know. It's so oh, that's... weird and like has me even more worried in a way. It's just. Uh, well, that was one of some of the stuff I was reading about. I mean, I, I think I haven't spent enough time reading about his plans for the monarchy and just how, you know, the slimmed down monarchy. But also, did you know he, some of his attentions, according to sources, I'm doing the air quotes, are that he would turn Balmoral into a museum for the queen and open up Buckingham Palace like even further so that people like really wants to open up the royal residences and he wants the monarchy to really be more concentrated 
on themes of interest versus like ribbon cutting ceremonies and right. event appearances. It was interesting to yeah. see the timing of some of this coverage with the royal sources. He, wa- he said something like it wa- it's going to be the flat above the shop or yeah. something. Like he's going to have like one apartment in Buckingham. The rest is really, really open. I mean, none of that sounds bad. I no. don't I don't disagree with any of that. But the fact that he knows that a lot of people don't want him to be king and he's waited yeah. forever, it just is so feels uncomfortable for him. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. It's so, so uncomfortable for him. And it's like, does he have like a vengeance against how do you this? change that public opinion if you don't abdicate? Yeah. And how do you like look at your subjects and think like nobody wants me in this position, but I've waited my whole entire life for this. His whole life. I, I always think last thing, I always think back to that um I know what you're gonna say <laughs> Royal Family documentary where it's like, he'll soon be king. And it's like a twenty three year old Charles riding his bike and I'm like Oh the my opening line goodness. of that film. It's like the, I think it's almost like the best part of that movie because he's like on water skis and then it's just having the future. You know, we've lived so many decades since. It's it's fascinating. <sighs> Truly. Well, they just announced Charles and Camilla are going on a tour of Egypt and Jordan November 16th to 19th. So it'll be their first major overseas tour since the pandemic. I mean, it all feels very up in the air depending on how things go with the queen. I feel like we just need to Wait, she did look good I at guess. her. She had like a virtual audience, right? She yeah. she looked radiant. I, I thought she looked And she was sitting healthy. down. I think, you know, we'll probably see her sitting down for the COP26 video speech that she's going to give. The walking stick makes you think it might have to do with more of the movement and a lot of um, since she was sitting for that video conference call. I mean, she has been sitting for most of them, but just thinking like about the walking stick and maybe that's yeah. why she, she should be on rest. Yeah, I know. Exactly. No, she's 95 people. Why she's are they overbooking her? Like yeah, this? <laughs> exactly. All right, so we want to talk about the Twitter hate campaign and this news report from Ellie Hall at BuzzFeed News that dropped just yesterday, I believe. Uh, Basically, Bot Sentinel, which I want to explain what it is. Basically, Bot Sentinel is a crowdfunded website and browser plugin that started back in 2018 to analyze Twitter accounts and those who violate terms of service. They then like assign a score to these different accounts based on whether it's a bot or if they're just spreading misinformation, that kind of a thing. They've been really pivotal in things like the election, which was a disaster, and COVID misinformation. But this became something that they wanted to investigate as well, Megan and Harry. They did an analysis of 114,000 tweets about Harry and Meghan, which revealed not bot-generated, but a very sophisticated hate campaign against Meghan mostly on Twitter. So this was 83 accounts that make up 70% of the hate directed against her. And they were part of this, like, campaign to spread this misinformation and hate. This makes me so sick to my stomach. One, because I feel like the Sussexes have been telling us this all along, and now, like, they have the report that proves their point. But also, did you see the CEO, Christopher Boozy? he tweeted screenshots, and it's so wild to me at the level of organization they created an intelligence agency this person says i love world war ii stuff so that's the direction we're going this is us 
We need to get with our respective teams, pick leaders, and then figure out where our communications overlap between them and find critical conduits for information sharing. This is all, it's like organized crime almost, you know, it is online cybercrime, it feels like. Well, I think that's what was so fascinating to me is that this was actual humans spreading the hate. So some of the numbers is that these accounts have a total of 180 around 187,000 followers, but it equates to, with all the retweets and all of that stuff, 17 million eyeballs on this content. And there's 55 primary accounts that are spreading the hate, but then 28 accounts that retweet and amplify that hate. And then the organic hate comes in. And it's sophisticated. The reason it's humans is that they are... They know how to skirt the Twitter rules and guidelines so that they're saying things that are not going to get them flagged. It's not something that a robot could do. Right. Like they tweet like mundane, like normal things in between so that Twitter doesn't yeah. doesn't shut them down. And, it's very, and some very... of the tweets were like racial, obviously racial undertones. One yeah. was calling for Megan's death. Some claim that she faked her pregnancy or that her children were born, born via surrogate. Like absolutely despicable yeah i mean i think go ellie hall for this i was just gonna say shout out to ellie hall and bot sentinel for uncovering this but she's and she's the reporter who did the comparison of megan and kate headlines yes um, her stuff is incredible yeah she's a very good investigative reporter but i do think you know if you i i've noticed this and i don't know if you have but if you even just look at the replies on like an omen scoby tweet that has you know, it's just a, a run-of-the-mill update about the Sussexes. The replies are even just like, what is going on? Like, the memes, the hatred, the vitriol. It's all I, – I just – I scroll and I, I just am sickened. It's, well, and I feel I think like social media has a big question to answer for all of us. And it's, there's a reckoning happening. I don't know, Roberta. Like, is Instagram our Facebook? Like, I don't – should we not be on these platforms? It's horrible to see these types of things happening. I know. I I thought this tweet was really enlightening from Brian Merchant. He tweeted that, you know, and this is about Facebook, but I think social media in general, this is kind of pertains to, but he says the lesson from all this good Facebook reporting is very simple and was clear before these massive leaks. If you build a social network whose profits depend on continually expanding engagement, ultimately whatever drives that engagement will be allowed to triumph. That's it. So, you know, these bot accounts, there's 83 of them. They do spread the hate and they created about Megan, but then it organically becomes hate that people, normal, regular people that aren't focused on this is their sole purpose on Twitter, they latch on to it. And I think that's the sickening part is like it it spins out of control it into incites this it. 17 million eyeballs seeing it then, you know? Yeah. And it's like the real algorithm. reckoning it's, that needs to happen. And yeah. I just... Anyways, we're going to continue to follow that. I think the question that remains is just why this was orchestrated, why this was happening. I think a lot of people, and I believe Ellie Hall will probably be doing some follow-ups there. On a brighter note, I just want to quickly mention Megan stepping up to lend her voice to the fight for paid parental leave. I feel like I've been following this so aggressively throughout the whole pandemic. It's just, you know what our country has set up for moms is just not acceptable for parents. Um, And Megan penned an open letter to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, which was published by Paid Leave for All. I'm going to read a quote. Paid leave should be a national right rather than a patchwork option limited to those whose employers have policies in place or those who live in one of the few states where a leave program exists. I feel like just seeing this 
Whenever the royals play the mom card, Kate, Megan, Diana, I always feel like it's one of my like most relatable things. I don't know if that's just because like I'm a parent. I don't know if it was, I think before, I just, even if you're not a parent, you're a kid. And so you love seeing them in this sort of like moment that's so human, right? So mm-hmm. I think when Megan st- puts her foot in this territory, it's, there's a personal element that feels really nice to see. I mean, she's definitely a mom and this is a thing and that making it even more personal with the anecdotes she shares, like the Sizzler salad bar for yep. 99, working her way through odd jobs to make ends meet. I think that part is, and her incredible writing capabilities. I mean, we saw that in the op-ed from the New York times, but I think she just is so, so good at, um, persuasion and I think that she this letter in how it's incredibly I mean it's two pages like it's not just like yeah just about that she kind of expands on it a lot so I thought that was really great to read yeah no I think I think it was incredibly eloquent not complicated where I think sometimes these political issues can get so jargony there's definitely some harsh opinions about her stepping into a political topic yet again um in the UK but I love this from NPR that said it's not really that political and she writes about that in her letter too but they note that you know 84 percent of voters including 74 percent of republicans are in favor of a national paid family leave policy yeah it's one that's not super divided it's just like a yeah an issue of national policy not, yeah right it's not right or left it's right or wrong and i think you know most people would agree that this is the right thing to do and that the united states is the exception we're one of eight countries it's just it's absolutely mind-blowing that this isn't a federal policy yet. Yes. Well, and I think it's just also just looking at the example she gave of Estonia. Like, we just are so archaic in what we offer, even the companies that do. So I think that that's where it gets, like, just staggering. Like, we're the United States of America, and Estonia offers a better policy than we do. So we need to really recognize that this is a big moment, and we could really change the world by not addressing Doesn't Estonia have a year and a half or something? Yeah, a year and a half that can be yeah. sort of split up between the two parents. So thank you, Megan, for lending your voice to that. I know that that's a silly thing to say, but it really does make a difference in my opinion, no. despite what the critics say about her sticking her nose in that area. So, And anyways. I think this was such a bright spot in a kind of a dark Royals week. So yeah, I, I was really, really exciting to see. And I, I saw she just donated a bunch of copies of the yes. bench to a Los Angeles preschool. So another so bright spot. Yeah. Should we go to our guest interview? Yes, let's do it. Roros get excited. This week, we're joined by Christopher Ashley. He's the director of Diana the Musical, opening this November on Broadway at long last and already out on Netflix. If you haven't watched or bought your tickets yet, you're missing out. And fun fact, Chris has been a part of the production from the very beginning as the artistic director for the La Jolla Playhouse, where Diana first debuted all the way back in February of 2019. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's great to be here. Gosh, you have had kind of a wild ride with this show. I feel like it has gone through many, you know, stop, start. We both had tickets, press tickets to see the show back in March 2020. And then we vividly, all of us remember the day that the world kind of shut down back then. And, you know, I think, Roberta, you bought tickets again. I bought tickets again in May of 2020 when it felt like everything was coming back. And then it was suspended. We got an email from Ticketmaster that it was suspended again. So it was devastating. So, yeah, so happy to see it on Netflix. So we were just so curious what it's been like navigating that 
as the director of a brand new to Broadway show and how you kind of have navigated all those changes? Uh, so, yeah, the, I, this is unlike any experience I've ever had on the show. Um, we were in previews on Broadway uh, in March of 2020, uh, about a week and a half into into a preview period and making changes and rewriting and throwing out songs and adding new ones when Broadway shut down um, because of COVID. And at first, I think we thought it was going to be three weeks or four weeks or something. Uh, but then it started to become clear, wow, this is going to be a long haul of a shutdown of theater in America and the world. Um, and we started talking about, well, what could we be doing now? Um, we certainly want to keep working on our show. So the creative team and I were on Zoom um, continuing the the refining process of the show. But one of our producers, Frank Marshall, um, had a real relationship with Netflix. And he called them up and said, hey, would you consider making a film of our, of our musical that we would shoot in the Broadway house? And they said yes. So really quickly it came together. And last September, um, we all came back together. We put the changes that we had um, outlined into the show. We re-rehearsed it because it had been at that point several months since we had done it. Um, Retecked it for the camera and shot across about four days in September. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That doesn't sound very long at all to shoot a whole entire Netflix show. It's incredible. It's not. It was fast. And also I just like, you were talking about what's unusual. I don't, I can't think of another time that there was a film out before the show opened on Broadway. I mean, that's usually a thing you do years later. What is that like? Is that, is that really, I mean, is that exciting that everyone kind of gets this sneak peek and then they are rushing to the theater? Uh, I I think it's incredibly exciting. I feel really fortunate to have um, on both my Broadway shows got a chance to shoot them um, um, for Apple TV Plus and 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 Netflix, yeah. um, but yes, there's a it's it's kind of wild that that people around the world will have seen the show before it ever opens on Broadway. Are there big changes between what you see on Netflix and what you'll get in the theater? Obviously, the in person experience, but are there a lot of changes to the show itself compared to what you would have seen in previews um, a year and a half ago? Absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, multiple songs have been thrown out. There was we really reshaped. Um, uh, parts of the musical. And there's even a couple of, of tweaks we're going to do since um, we shot the the Netflix. So if you come see it on Broadway now, you'll even see a couple of, um, of, of little changes even since the movie. Oh, that's so exciting and makes it even more like, I can't wait to get tickets. We were curious, you know, because you were involved all the way back when it first came to fruition at the La Jolla Theater. What has that process been like to see, you know, the excitement and enthusiasm from that time and then move it to Broadway? From the first time we ever put this in front of an audience at La Jolla Playhouse, it was really clear that the audience brings in this very emotional connection to Diana, right? I mean, people really remember the wedding and have a really strong image of her in that in that in that gown and and uh, where they were when um, when she was killed in, in in Paris and so many different moments in her life are personal to people so the audience kind of walks in already with this huge level of investment of, about her um, so part of it is kind of working with that investment to make sure that um, that we're telling um, a story of this extraordinary woman in a way that honors her, but also is kind of um, upfront about some of the incredible difficulties she went through. And we're telling a story about this crazy marriage. Um, she called it the crowded marriage um, because Charles was so in love with Camilla and she was really in that marriage with them. Um, so it's kind of an amazing yarn. And in, in addition to all these moments that the audience already knows, there's all these details that 
I didn't know until I started working on it, just wild things that happened along the way. Yeah. I was curious, what is your personal experience with Diana? Was that, was she, was it a story you always followed or when you took this project on? Yeah, I would say I'm a super fan. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Us too. <laughs> I think that the first time I really paid attention to her was I was in college and the saw a picture of her in an AIDS ward with a young man um, um, shaking hands. And it was a, it was early in the arc of the AIDS epidemic. And, um, and there was so much misinformation out there. And the fact that she was there, that she was calling attention to this disease, that she was making up a, 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 a pitch for more funding for it, that, that there, she wasn't wearing gloves. It was skin to skin contact. There was so much about it that seemed to me extraordinary. Um, and I do think that she, um, this all happened to her so young, right? She was 19 when she married Charles and she found a way to find her strength, to find her voice and to make such a difference in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, I don't want to give any spoilers, but that part of the play is incredible, incredibly moving. I got chills. Um, this does feel like the season of Diana. I mean, not just your musical, but also The Crown coming back, Spencer, the movie, a new podcast called When Diana Met from CNN. I'm not sure if you heard of that, but so much more. And in a weird way, the timing, all this kind of worked out. So why do you think there is so much attention on Diana right now? It's it's amazing that that. that t- <laughs> Two decades after uh, she passed away, she's yeah. still the front of magazines every week and all, on television, on film, on stage. But I think uh, she had incredible X Factor, right? I mean, she's had charisma. Um, I think the situation she was in taps into all kinds of fantasies and nightmares um, we have about like like having this, like you know, transformational thing happened to you and suddenly you're the center of the universe. I also think that the monarchy keeps on generating amazing stories, right? I mean, here we are, like her son Harry and his marriage to Meghan and all of that wouldn't have been possible without her kind of blowing up the rule book on on what you can do as a royal. Um, I I think a lot about... um, the fact that when Charles needed to, to marry, he was under real pressure to find a high-born virgin, right? Like, like mm-hmm. for questions of, like, you know, lineage and the heir and um, from, from rules that were set up, you know, centuries back. And in one generation, Harry can marry an American commoner, divorcee with, you know, mixed race parentage. Like it's actress. So I feel like they're weird about yeah. actresses. Back <laughs> totally. um, maybe that's even the most shocking thing. Yeah. Um, but like the rules have changed in one generation and it was really Diana, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. She really set that, you know, paved the way for so much. And do you think there's any danger of that cannibalizing the show at all? Like there's so much Diana or do you think it really helps kind of set a higher standard for you guys? What do you think? Time will tell, um, but um, I, we certainly have, um, none of the other ones are musicals, have the explosion of dancing that this one ha- has. It's, it's, a, it's unto itself in, in, in important ways. Um, you know, I think we have um, the amazing gift of Gina as, as Diana, um, who um, channels Diana in, in, uh, in such extraordinary ways, mannerisms, has gorgeous, gorgeous voice, um, and um, lives that life with so much truth and authority. Oh, absolutely. Well, we actually wanted to ask you about that casting choice. I mean, Gina, she's 
remarkable. It's like watching, I mean, all the casting in the show is incredible. How did you and the rest of the creative team know that she was the one? It's really a big deal to cast someone as Diana. She um, walked in the door for our first day, first hour of casting for the show. We were just, we were casting for the first reading, very informal. We needed a Diana. We didn't necessarily think it was the one who was going to be with it for the entire life of the project. Um, And I think she was the fourth or fifth person in the door. And she just definitively, no doubt in the room, like laid a claim to this role. Um, She had done a lot of research. So it was really, really specific. And, you know, she opened up to sing her first song and her voice is so glorious. Um, You know, she was brought up in in, um, the UK. So her kind of understanding of class and dialect and all the sort of nuances of what it's like to um, be that woman in that moment was so honed and, and, and kind of perfect. So I, it wasn't like I chose her. It's like the play chose her. She just <laughs> was, too, was too perfect. Wow. Yeah, no, she nails the role and just even nails the it. accent and just it's been, it was a real joy to watch her. It definitely was. And speaking of the research that goes into this, can you speak to some of the research you guys did for the show? I mean, there were little details. I feel like Rachel and I noticed like the queen sipping Dubonnet and, you know, the cover of Andrew Morton's book and all the costume changes for every four minutes, there's a costume change. It's incredible. Um, so how, what was that like researching and, and how mu- how did you do it? I guess. It's funny that you mentioned the costume changes because Gino sometimes says that the real show is happening off stage because <laughs> like, she just, there's, there's never a moment where she's not either on stage or in the middle of the most intense costume and hair change. 34 costume changes, I think, is I what think I read. I, Incredible. I, am, I am sure that that is true. <laughs> and there, there's like an army of people like, like wow. going to battle to center on stage in the couple of seconds, you know, the tens of seconds she's got before her next scene. But the research, um, I've never done a project um, where the problem isn't how can you find enough specifics in the research. It's the opposite problem. There's so much to choose from. Every moment of these people's lives is photographed and videotaped and biographers have you know, poured over every detail. So there's there's a wealth of um, of information. If anything, it's a and and it doesn't agree with each other, right? Like the, all the many biographies are going to battle about. No, you don't understand. It was like this, yes. or she's a she's she's um, a, a hero, or she's a villain, or like there's so much disagreement um, that it also frees us in a certain way to to kind of um, uh, chart our own path. And we really tried to tell the story without villains, really, that there's everybody is doing the best they can under impossible circumstances. Um, And it's very much um, following Diana's journey. And the the show is very sympathetic um, with Diana. Um, But really, that marriage, it, it was it was a terrible match those two uh and you know in a different moment charles would have been able to marry camilla who he loved so much and things would have gone very differently i think that you do a great job of showing the true triangle that existed um all right last question chris we ask all of our guests if you could identify with any royal living or dead who would it be and why yes well okay so i've spent Six years identifying with Diana, yeah. so that's cheating. I can't, I can't pick that one. That's too easy. Um, you know, I, I, I really enjoy the crown, and I have to say, Margaret on the crown, I'm all in on. I think that woman is amazing. Uh, that's a great answer. I love that. Such a good okay, answer. that's my answer, Margaret. 
It's an easy one because I I haven't uh, we didn't we didn't grapple with the Margaret of it all. We but maybe another show. musical. Yeah, that could be right. Absolutely, <laughs> I'd sequel. <watch> that. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And again, tickets, everyone, get them. You have to see this. Broadway is back, and it is such a thrill because, gosh, we've missed it. So, thank you for joining us. And watch on Netflix. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Okay, back to our regular scheduled programming. Before we adjourn, here are our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low is just that we haven't heard from Archwell Audio in almost a year. I feel like I just keep waiting to see refreshing Spotify to see if there's any new episodes. Their first and only episode dropped last December. So hopefully... Love Once that. a year, though, man. Give us that push I notification. Wish we had that recording schedule. <laughs> Can you imagine? Just uh, no, we love this every week. Yes. Um, Milo is kind of a little bit more of a like dun 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 because I'm so curious what's going to play out here. But there's more controversy over Panorama, but this time with The Crown. So there was an article supposedly Netflix is and The Crown is going to dramatize that interview. There might even be a full episode about this, according to. Uh, just sources involved. I don't think Netflix has made a statement or anything, but William, you know, there was a royal source that talked about William's perspective on this, and that person said, William's words still stand, meaning that there's no legitimacy over the interview and it should never be aired again. There's also potentially legal difficulties if Netflix does have an episode devoted, like what lines can they use? How can they do it? Because Panorama set, like there's a copyright that Panorama has and I don't know how that all works. So I guess it was more just like a, hmm, like how's this going to play out? It's not totally a low, but I'm very curious. Like it makes me even more excited. Maybe I'm turning it into a high. I'm sorry, (laughs) but I'm more excited (laughs) for the crown. (laughs) No, I think it can be a low because I think Prince Williams would be pretty upset. Yeah. I mean, I think Harry too. But also I don't think they he watches it so I don't know well yeah and but also the con- the just one more thing the complication like Harry works for Netflix like is this weird you know it's like yes. that's something that Harry also has been vocal about the panorama and his disappointment and all of that so yeah very curious what's your high my high this week is the Eugenie and Beatrice sighting this was such a bright spot too high fashion is back the sisters attended the third wedding ceremony of Prince Philippus of Greece who is, reminder, the godson of Princess Diana and a distant cousin to Eugenie and Beatrice. And so the wedding is to Nina Floor, now Princess Nina of Greece and Denmark, who wore custom Chanel and was gorgeous. The wedding was in Athens. Edo and Jack were there too. My high is just the, the dresses. The sisters looked gorgeous. Beatrice had on Gucci. She... So click that link. Did you see these pictures? I did see them. The dress... I feel like it just needs to be seen again. Eugenie's dress had a thigh high slit with gold clasps up the slit by Peter Pilotto, which is her wedding dress designer. Here's my question though, Rachel. Yes. Is it okay to wear the same dress that the bride wore to her second wedding? This was her third wedding, but Eugenie's wearing the exact same dress in black that Nina, Princess Nina, wore to her second wedding in Cambridgeshire in June of this year. And I feel like the white. fact that I'm not that keeping link? track of it, but I feel, I don't know. I'm like, I think it's, do you think it's weird? It's not as bad as wearing white to a wedding, but it's kind of bad, yeah, right? That's to funny. wear the same exact dress that she she wore as her wedding dress by Peter Pilotto, just in a different color. That is really funny. 
It's mm. just interesting. It's made me pause. And nobody's mm. talked about this. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My high of the week is just the news that there is a warm and wonderful pop-up store open now in the UK. It's only open till Christmas. Please let's make this permanent. It's at the Seven Dials, which was one of my favorite spots to shop when I was over there that last time. And I just like, I want the cute beanie with the sheep. I want the hat. I had to also tell you that at the playground over the weekend, I saw the sheep sweater in the wild. Just like a, wild. obviously, obviously a very cool lady at the playground wearing the sheep sweater. And I like, I couldn't keep a conversation. I just kept like shadowing her with my eyes around the playground, but it's kind of <laughs> awesome, right? Like just to see that kind of going around. It's- so awesome. The one thing I want to say is with all the sheep, black sheep pattern all over that store, my eyes burned, but in kind of a great way, in a wonderful way. But it just was Yeah, the like, opening whoa. looked fabulous. So the explosion yes. of the pattern. Congrats to Joanna and Sally. Yeah. I did want to also mention that I got a cool listener DM about this sheep sweater knockoff at the loft. Roberta, did you see this? No. I clicked this. Alyssa wrote me and she bought it. And it's kind of like a it's you know, it's like a pivot on it. So I feel like if you want some sort of nod to Diana, it's nice. And then the Anthropology oh, Fall cute. 2021 collection is, the model is Diana 2. Point, like she looks exactly like Diana, Oh, right? I think I did see this. Yes. So lots of cheap Diana fashion I love for that. fall. I that love is what is in right now. Collection. Yeah. <laughs> The All loft right. sheep sweater in beige is, is they the way they styled it online is really cute too. All right. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating as we mentioned up top. Here's a review. It says, every Thursday morning I wake up so excited because another royally obsessed episode is available to listen. Listening is such an act of self-care. I devour the royal news Robbie and Rachel discuss each week and appreciate they're able to touch on each scenario in a detailed yet non-biased perspective. As royal news is dropped between the pod each week, I can't wait to hear how it's discussed. I feel like they're my friends and we're enjoying a conversation about our favorite royals. Thank you for this wonderful podcast. So, so sweet. Please leave us a note, an email at info at gallery podcasts with an S dot com. And till next week, God, God save, save the, the pod. pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.